Wonderful way to start off a morning. We are blessed. And we're really blessed that I don't have the guitar and I'm not working the, the keypad because it would be really bad. People would not be yelling with praise. They would be yelling in pain and running out. So, good morning. I want to welcome you here this morning. My name is Kevin Pate. I'm one of our lead pastors here at FCC, and I'm excited to get to dig into God's Word with you this morning, especially where we're going to be going. Um, I'm really excited about. We're going to be looking at John chapter 17. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to John 17, verse 7. And if you borrowed a Bible from the back, that's on page 649. <clears throat> this morning, we have 72 women um, who are not here with us. FCCers, you're at Catalyst Weekend. So yeah, it's an exciting time. These women have, have basically said, I'm going to take 72 hours in my life and I'm going to commit it to Jesus and allow him to do, say, whatever he wants. And so they are there this weekend. So I tell you that um, because it's exciting. We've seen um, eternities change. We have seen other um, lives changed in ways that are just really spectacular, work only God can do. Uh, but I want to encourage you as you walk out of here today to be praying for them. Um, their weekend doesn't end at noon. They actually go um, into the afternoon. So be praying for them as you, as you head out. If you've ever got to spend a lot of time with me, it's probably something you recognize very clearly that I'm not a big fan of doing the onstage thing. Um, I just love my job. I love everything I get to do except the onstage piece. And I have been pitching to Rick all these wonderful ideas of things that I can do outside of doing the main stage speaking piece. And he's not buying what I'm selling yet, but we're still working that direction. So the stage piece isn't something that I really love, but I really love the preparation for um, getting up to teach because it's, it's where God has the opportunity to begin to, to teach me and to pour into me uh, before I can ever bring anything to share with you. And so, you know, it's the blessing of getting 30 to 40 hours to just pour into a specific piece of scripture and just allow God just to open up doors and to give me clarity that I have never had before. Um, so it's really a love-hate relationship with me. My prayer is, is that this morning will just be a love relationship with you. Um, but I think it's going to be good. We had a good time during first service. What I've been able to study for this message has been particularly challenging in John 17. I've really loved the chance to get to spend this extra time digging into this chapter, and it's become very special to me. This entire chapter is a recording of Jesus praying to the Father. It's a discussion. It's the longest one that we have recorded in Scripture. What a cool opportunity we have to get to be a fly on the wall in a conversation between Jesus and the Father. And even, even more special is the timing that this prayer happens. We get the opportunity to eavesdrop on this conversation, and this is just moments before Jesus goes to um, be arrested and taken to the cross. So this is on, on the, the doorstep of some of the most important things that have ever happened in history going on, and we get this opportunity to eavesdrop on this conversation. There's so much that we can learn and that we can apply in our lives from unpacking this conversation you know, when I, I was a child, my parents probably still don't know this, but I loved to eavesdrop on their conversations. <laughs> At night, they would put me to bed, and I would pretend, you know, I'm asleep in the room as they came and did checks, and then I would creep down the hallway 
And depending on if they were in the kitchen or the living room would depend on how far I could make it down the hallway. And I would just listen. And I love to listen to their, their real unscripted conversations. You know, we would drive places on vacation in our van, and I would always claim the middle seat because I could sit right behind my parents, pretend like I'm reading. And I was the oldest brother, so if my brothers had an issue with it, I would just thump them and take the middle seat anyways. But it was so cool because I could listen in on all that they had to discuss. You know, and another thing that my parents probably don't know is that I I learned a lot from their conversations. I learned a lot about who I am, what mattered to them, and how to treat people. You know, as I listened, I began to learn things like how to love a friend through a difficult process. I learned how to be patient with somebody. And I learned how to speak really hard truth at a difficult time. And that was just a few of the things that I got to learn. Side note, if you have kids at home, your private conversations might not be so private. And so I would encourage you to be cautious of the content of your conversations I was blessed because the content of my parents' conversations nurtured me. But it's easy that the content of conversations could quickly um, handicap a child as they grow. So it's just something, kind of a side note to be cautious of. But, but I loved to get to eavesdrop. And as we read chapter 17, I want to encourage you to try to recognize how Jesus and the Father see things. We get this just unscripted opportunity to listen to their conversation, with, which gives us great opportunity to see how they see. Their infinite perspective is perfect. Ours, not so much. And it's an awesome gift that we have to watch and to look and to learn through their eyes. Have you ever recognized that you don't see things clearly? You thought you had something completely figured out, and then you realized, nope, don't have it figured out. I'm actually completely wrong. You know, we're all great at assuming things about people and our circumstances only to figure out that we're assuming absolutely the wrong thing. The truth is, is that we all look through rose-colored glasses. All of our perspectives are just, 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 just distorted and, and disjointed because of our experiences in life, our assumptions, our brokenness, and our wounds. You know, it's a human factor. We all face it. In prayer, I often hear people ask Jesus to help them see through his eyes. I often pray the same prayer for myself, my wife, and my kids. You know, our life would look dramatically different if we're able to see others and our circumstances the way that Jesus sees them. Henry Blackaby says it this way. He says, we don't know the truth of any situation until we know God's perspective. And chapter 17 gives us a glimpse of what it means to look through Jesus' eyes. Let's pray real quick. God, I pray that you would give us the ability to focus in on your truth right now. Lord, I am absolutely dependent on you as we dig into your word. Lord, the, the things that I share are only things that you have taught and you have shared with me. Lord, I pray you would not allow me to get in your way, but I pray that you would speak clearly to us as we listen to learn from you. In this chapter, we get to see a chance. We get to see the opportunity of what matters to Jesus, what his plans and goals are. And we're even able to see more about who we are, our identity, and what our purpose is based on, how he talks to the Father. This morning, my goal is for us to examine two requests that Jesus makes to the Father I had started off with three, and I realized I had 30 minutes to do this, and so I quickly had to shove the third one off. 
But I want to encourage you guys, we're going to just stick with two that we're going to dig into this morning. But don't leave John 17 here this morning. I want to encourage you to take it for at least the next week, maybe further. As I sat down to begin to build this talk and was asking God, where do you want me to go? Um, I came up with nine different major themes of teaching that, that the Lord gives us just in this opportunity. I mean, big ones. I have them actually, I have them listed out here. So if you want to go um, later and, and study and you're like, hey, shoot me some pointers, shoot me an email, I'd be glad to pass these on to you. But we're going to stick with two. So let's start reading in, in verse 7 of chapter 17. It's Jesus talking to the Father. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I'm departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be unified just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed to destruction, as the scriptures foretold. The first request we're going to look at that Jesus makes to the Father is to protect his people, you and me, the disciples. This infers that there's something or someone out there that's dangerous, right? Because you don't need protection unless there's something that's dangerous. And in Jesus' clarity and perspective, his perfect perspective, we realize that he sees danger. This danger is described in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. It says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. And remember that your family of believers all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. See, Peter identifies the danger that we face. Do you realize each day that the devil is out to destroy you? Those in your family, your friends? I believe that each one of us can look back in our past and we can see multiple times where God has protected us. But do you realize that you can choose to live outside of God's protection? A couple years ago, we gave my oldest son a Swiss Army knife as a gift. He had been asking for a knife for a while, and we decided, hey, finally it's time, so we'll give it to him. He was really excited about it, and he wanted it for a lot longer than when we had given it to him. He wasn't allowed to keep it on him. But he could check it out from me or my wife, and you know it was kind of like, you can check it out as we can watch you with it. So one day he had a friend come over, and he was really excited about showing his friend his Swiss Army knife, because it had extra little things on it, um, lots of extra little tools, and he was just pumped to share it with his friend. So he asked if he, could, if he could have it, and so Lee and I got the knife out. And we told them both how to handle the knife. We specifically taught them about how to be careful with the blade, because it's sharp, i.e. it's a knife told them not to let the sharp part touch their skin because it can easily cut them. And within a minute, there was blood, and we were hunting Band-Aids. I asked what had happened, and his friend looked at me confused and said, I wanted to see what it would do if I put the sharp part on my hand, and it cut me. And you can imagine, I mean, if you're a parent, you can understand. I'm sitting there. I, he and I were both confused. 
And I asked him, I said, so you wanted to see what would happen if you ran the knife across your hand after I told you it would cut you? And he just quickly said, yep. And we kind of still stood there, confused, looking at one another. So, of course, the knife got put away for a long time. And then I realized something. I realized they didn't believe what I told them. Really, you know, all I could do was laugh in my confusion. But as I realized that, I realized how often we as adults do the same thing all the time. We choose to live outside of Jesus' protection by deciding not to trust him or how he tells us to live. You know, the sad thing is that many times the results of our distrust of Jesus are much more painful than a small cut on the hand. Jesus has given us instructions to teach us how to live, how to love, and how to grow in a way that protects us. He loves us with a love greater than we can understand. He doesn't give us these instructions to control us. I mean, really and truly, he's God. If he wanted to control us, he could attach the puppet strings, and there's not much we could do about it. But he loves us. He gives us these instructions in the Bible because he wants the best for us. He wants you and I to choose life. In John 17, 8, we see Jesus telling the Father that the disciples accepted the message he gave them and that they believed in him. They trusted Jesus' words to the point that it changed the way they lived. Do you trust him to the point that it changes the way you live? I admit, trust is a difficult thing. I've got my own trash can full of trust issues. Most of you guys probably have small little buckets, but I drag mine in a big trash can. But I can tell you from experience of walking with Jesus that I have never one time had regrets in trusting him. I've been a believer for 30 years this year. And not one time I sat on this stage last night as I was praying for our time together and asked God, if there's been a time, help me remember it. I couldn't remember one time in 30 years that I trusted his instructions and I walked away with regret. So trusting Jesus is a key part of receiving his protection. But there's a second role that I believe that we play in this process of receiving his protection. My daughter Eden, um, Eden just turned six years old. She's a beautiful girl and she is a social butterfly. She loves to play with friends every chance she gets. Um, Recently, she's really enjoyed playing with a friend who lives across the street from us. And we have some great neighbors. God's really blessed us with, with just really awesome neighbors. And so as part of her starting to reach out and build friendships, we're teaching her how to cross the road and look for cars. Well, Eden is a slow learner in that one area. And so I was actually out in the garage one day working out, and I could see her about to cross the road to go play with a friend, and she didn't know I could see her. And there she goes, bolting across the road without any hesitation. So I come off the machine pretty quickly, and I call her back over, and we have a little chat, and I let her know that because she didn't look for cars, she wouldn't be playing the rest of the day. And then the drama mama came out of my little daughter. You would have thought I'd told her she was moving to Haiti for the rest of her life. I'd ruined her life and that she was going to live in this isolation and boredom. But until she was able to learn how to protect herself, I was unable to give her the freedoms that she wanted. That in itself, my friends, is a whole other message. You all find great relief in knowing that since she has learned how to cross the road and look both ways, and so she's been able to get out from under the tyranny of her dictator father. So you might ask me why I tell you this story. 
I think it's key for us to realize that we have a role to play in Jesus' desire to protect us. These are things, there are things that I do to protect Eden on a daily basis that she has no clue about. Things she'll never realize I've done. But if I'm a good dad, I'll also teach her how to protect herself from destruction. And the more I read scripture, the more I recognize that Jesus is not only protecting us in ways that we don't see, but his word is full of instructions to help us learn how to better protect ourselves from destruction. There's going to be some verses that will come up on the screen just to kind of give you a sample of what I'm talking about. Romans 13, 14 tells us how we should think. Proverbs 6 talks about how to protect ourselves financially. Proverbs chapter 5, 6, and 7 all talk about how you protect yourself from the destruction of sexual immorality. Proverbs 20, 19 tells us to avoid a gossiper because the pain they can inflict. And then there's a whole list of five or six verses, and this is just the, the very the very top tip of the iceberg, that all talk about healthy relationship boundaries that that the Lord gives us. If we'll learn the instructions in the Bible and and if we choose to be obedient to them, we'll find a lot less self-imposed pain and struggle and suffering in our lives. It's important to realize that to obey, we first have to understand. You don't have to understand the why. That's more about us just maintaining control. But what I'm talking about is it's important for us to understand the instructions that Jesus has given us in Scripture for us to obey. These instructions that are here to protect us. You know, being a pastor, it affords me the blessing of spending time with lots of Christians who are in a variety of different situations, stages in life. Some are in crisis. Others are experiencing exciting blessing. I mean, you follow me or one of our pastors here around for a day and you might go schizophrenic. But it it gives us this opportunity to walk along people who are suffering through just suffering and pain that's been imposed from a broken world, or to walk alongside people who are suffering by things that they've done and imposed on themselves. But one of the common denominators that I recognize with the average Christian is this, it's that there's a lack of understanding of what Jesus' instructions are for the challenges that they face. In most cases, once a Christian knows what God says to do, they choose to do it. The problem is is that we usually aren't motivated to to learn his instructions and tell our rear ends in the crack. I want to encourage you to find time daily to be in his word and to learn it no matter your current situation or the stage of life that you're in. It's only then when we know it that we're able to obey it. So let's pick back up in verse 14. In verse 14, we'll follow Jesus' prayers. He continues to talk to the Father. He says this, I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. In verse 17, Jesus asked the Father to make us holy. In other translations, the word that's used for holy is to sanctify us. Sanctify is a word that we don't use very often today, but it has a powerful meaning that's so applicable to us understanding the request that Jesus is making of the Father. Sanctify means to be set apart. It means to be different. It means to be recognizably different. 
Specifically in this verse, Jesus is asking the Father to make us distinct and recognizably different from the world by molding us to be more like Him. So simply put, the more I am sanctified by the Father, the more I look like Jesus and less like the world. As we look at this second request, we find Jesus saying, change is to be expected in the life of a Christian. When we believe Jesus is who he says he is and we give him full lordship in our life, we become a new creation. We aren't just acting different. We are transformed from the inside to something different than what we were. We start fresh as a new creation and this begins a lifetime of changing to become more and more like him. The struggle is, is we usually aren't comfortable with change. We are creatures of comfort and tend not to like change. We have a little clip to kind of illustrate this point. Oh, Dad. <laughs> Dad. Oh, my God. That's not my Dad. Dad, what happened to your whiskers? <laughs> I shaved them off, Sam. They're gone. Why? I was tired of them. What's wrong, Sydney? Daddy! Why did you do it? No! Oh, no! No! <laughs> Daddy, no! We tend not to be creatures who enjoy change, right? If you guys have have hung out with me or known me for a while, you know at one point I had a wannabe Duck Dynasty goatee. Um, And I had that and I loved it. It was cool. I could store food in it for snacks for later. It just served a lot of purposes. But it became uncool when my daughter started to say, hey, that itches. Don't kiss me. Quit, Quit hugging me. That itches. But it really became uncool when my wife began to say those things. So I got home on a Friday night late and had, work, um, had the day off the next morning. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to shave and just wake up in the morning and surprise them all. And so one Friday night, I shaved it and went to bed. And so it was a, an easy Saturday the next morning. So we were sleeping in. We don't get to do that regular. So it was awesome to get to do. And my daughter, I hear her little footsteps come in to the bedroom. And then I start to feel her hands on my face. <laughs> and I open my eyes and I just see this look of displeasure and disapproval. And she goes, oh, dad, you've got to grow that back. (laughs) And then she told me after I grew it back to shave it again. And then she told me to grow it back again. You know, I've noticed that some people love change, even for the sake of change, while others are very avoidant of change in their lives. This this difference is a personality trait, and I don't believe this is what Scripture is talking about here. The scripture's not talking about changing your clothing style, changing your car, changing where you live, shaving your beard, growing your beard. For you men in the room, I hope women, you aren't growing a beard. Um, But what scripture's describing here is being willing to change who you are on the inside to become more like Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, I haven't met very many people who welcome constant change in their heart and in their mind. Usually, we've become who we are on the inside because we found that it meets our needs in one way or another. And it can be very difficult. But we have to become people who welcome and even invite inner change that Jesus requires of us. Change is a must for the Christian. This is one of the reasons that I believe it's much easier to do life in the world's way 
It's just easier. You know, the world tells you you don't have to change the inside unless it feels good, right? The world encourages us only to do it when it's comfortable, when Jesus beckons that we change our heart and mind no matter our comfort. Sanctification is not the purpose. It's not for the purpose of selfish enjoyment or for pride and being able to show people how we look better or how we act better. It's so we can represent Jesus to a world and draw this world to him. I want to encourage you to engage in this process with Jesus. There's great gain to be found in this process. As we trust him, learn his word, and obey his word, we begin to change. Our goals and dreams become bigger than they ever were before Jesus. Also, our desires and our sinful appetites begin to change as well. As you grow in Jesus, you begin to love sin less as you love him more. The more we love Jesus, the more sin loses its tempting power and its enticing draw. The opportunity, will even begin, the opportunity for sin will even become something that will grieve your heart and that will repulse you. Isn't it cool that as we love Jesus, that, that thing, that sin that would destroy us, that once would entice us so strongly that we couldn't even say no, begins to push us away. Such a blessing in following him. Jesus says in John 10, 10, that I have come to give life and to give it abundantly. So trust him in this process of change and enter into it with great expectations. Jesus never changes us for the worse. Never does. His changes come with the promises of peace, of joy, of hope, of security, of purpose, of fulfillment. If we're all honest, we all hunger for those things. And the world promises to provide them, and it never comes through. But here's a cool thing, is Jesus isn't just able to provide those things. He wants to provide those things. Isn't it awesome to have a God who, who not only wants to, but is able to? You know, you think about a, a lot of our moms. They want to give you everything they can, but they don't have everything to give. But what a cool opportunity that, that we serve Jesus who not only wants to meet all our needs, but he is able to meet them all. Embrace interchange, this interchange that he's asking you for. So let's pick up the verses in verse 15. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. We see Jesus clearly chose to keep us in the world. He's given us the task of being in the world, but not of it, to reach those who don't know him. I often see Christians struggle at this calling by either polarizing to one side or the other. It's a difficult balancing act to follow for each of us as we try to be in the world, but not of it. On one side, I see Christians being in the world to the point that there's no distinction between them or those of the world. They do all the things the world does. They go all the places that the world goes. They speak all the words that the world speaks. And as the world looks at them, they see no difference. Then there are these Christians who polarize to the opposite side, and they retreat to the church. They begin to live inside a spiritual bubble where they never encounter the lost world. This approach reminds me, removes, sorry, this approach removes the option for us to be known by our love. Oftentimes, Christians who take this approach, they become stagnant, critical, angry, and selfish. This approach to hide 
in the Christian bubble reveals a picture to the world that Jesus is distant and unloving. What a shame that Jesus would die for us and that that would be the picture we would portray to the world about him. Neither is what I believe Jesus had in mind. I believe his desire is for us to find a way to be in the world while paying attention to two things. The first is this. It's for us to be cautious of the world's influence on us so that it doesn't draw us away from him. And then second, I believe that it's very important that we are aware that our presence does not lead them further away from Jesus. And I say those because I've seen both of those happen over and over and over again and even experienced some of them, those things happening in my own life. The world that surrounds us should quickly know that we are different. Please notice that I use the word quickly. It doesn't mean you have to walk up to somebody and say, Hey, my name's Kevin and I'm a Christian. <laughs> because you might get punched in the throat. But your talk should be seasoned with your love for Jesus. Your discussions should talk about all that he's doing. And so people should spend time with you and quickly pick up that there's something different. Here's five areas that we should be known as different in our lives. It's just just a few. It's not an exhaustive list. One is we think differently than the world does. We think based on, on eternity, not on the temporary. Second is our goals are different. We're here to build his kingdom, not to build our own. The size of your house, the age of your house, the size of your bank account, how new your car is, what symbols on your car. If you are kingdom-minded, none of that makes any difference in the world. But to the world, those things matter because in the world, we have people who are working to build their own kingdom. But we're called to build his kingdom. The third thing is, is our love is different. This is one of my favorites. Our love is deeper, it's wider, it's stronger, and it's richer because of the source of our love. Our source of love is Jesus. And the world does not have access to that until they believe in him and they give him complete lordship of their life. So you have something so special to be set apart and to look distinct because of. Fourth thing is, is how we suffer looks very different than the world. We suffer in community. We allow others to serve us and to love us and to pour into us. We, we sacrifice for one another when we're, in, when we're suffering. And when we suffer, we have a hope. You know, I know the end of the story. I'm not sure if you do or not, but I know the end of the story. And so no matter what I face here and now, no matter how big or how small it is, when it adds up to knowing what the end of the story is, it puts it all into perspective. I don't know about you guys, but if I didn't know the end of the story, this whole presidential race thing would be driving me batty. <laughs> but I know that, that my God is so much greater than any man, any position, any political group, or any country. And so I don't think about it twice. And the fifth one is, is we have unshakable joy because of our hope. Jesus' prayer helps us realize that our primary purpose for remaining in the world is to draw the world to him. It's the reason that Jesus says he left us here. I would agree that God's created us to bring him glory in our lives and to be in relationship, but I don't need to be on earth to do those two things. I could be in heaven and do those two things. The reason he's left us here in the world is to bring him glory by drawing others to him. And if we measure every one of our actions and every one of our statements and every one of our thoughts against this mission, it'll enable us to remain in the world but not become a part of 
the world. One of my heroes, Warren Wiersbe, he says it this way. He says, the lost world cannot see God, but they can see Christians. And what they see in us is what they will believe about God. How are you reflecting your Savior to a world who needs to be saved? One day, all of our lives will end. It might be this afternoon, might be tomorrow. It could be over 70 years from now. I don't know. But for me, my goal is, is, is when my life ends, I hope I can repeat the words that Jesus says in John 17, 4, back to him. And I hope you can too. In verse 4, he says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the job you gave me to do. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for your truth. God, we are so thankful that now you are interceding on our behalf with the Father and that you are continuing to pray these things and you're continuing to ask the Father to sanctify us. Lord, and and I pray you would give us the strength to trust you to protect us. Lord, I pray that as we walk out, whatever it is that you said to every person in this room through your word, that it would stick and that it would grow. And I pray, Lord, that all the things that you've said to me in this would grow. In your name, amen.